Welcome to The Renewable Generation, a show about climate and energy issues by young people for all people. This week, Kelly and I are, well, we got Kelly and I, as we normally do, but we're also lucky, lucky to be joined by the co-founders of Green Portfolio, Bonnie Gurry and Elizabeth Landau. Um, before, we, before we introduce Bonnie and Elizabeth, Kelly, how was your past week? Oh, my past week was very, it was a lot. Um, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I was in the Bay Area for work. And um, I, since I also went to school in the Bay Area, I was trying to see as many friends as possible. So it's like every single day I had plans before work, had plans after work, leave at nine, like leave at 6 a.m., get back at like 9 p.m. I was like out for like 14 or 15 hours a day. Then I was very tired when I got home. I was like irritable and needed a lot of sleep. But it's Tuesday now, so I'm like mostly recovered. Nice. I was lucky enough to be part of that entourage. I saw you, Kelly, last week. It was super fun. Played some music. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned for our parody of Wonderwall called Powerwall. It's coming. Cool. Steve, what about you? Um, past week was, was pretty fun. Um, went out with um, some, some old friends that I hadn't seen in, in three-plus years and just hanging out with, with people, like, physically, like, be able to touch, you know, bodies like hands and dancing and stuff is was was amazing definitely felt um just so grateful to be like to be at this point in the pandemic where you can like hang out with friends again and and then like kind of just uh you know grateful for that you know still still trying to keep in perspective that a lot of the world is still dealing dealing with this uh this pandemic and being ravaged by it um so you know just kind of put that things in perspective and feeling really grateful about um positive things in my life right now so so I know, Steve, you know, we've had this debate several different times about personal choices versus systemic change. And I think what we've come down on is like, you should, you can make personal changes, but ultimately what matters the most is joining with other people to kind of put systemic pressure. And today we're talking to Bonnie and Elizabeth from Green Portfolio about how to do that on perhaps the most complex system that humans have devised, which is the financial system. That's right. And, and so I, I, I'm like, so, uh, intrigued and excited by the idea uh, behind green portfolio, which we'll, we will introduce shortly here. Um, just because of that, you know, the, 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 that same conversation that Kelly and I have all the time, it's like personal responsibility or systemic changes. What, what should you really be focusing on? Like pe- people, some people focus a lot on, um, being vegetarian or being vegan or, or driving less, um, or, you know, um, getting solar on your house. And, and these are all good things. And, and these are all things that, you know, individuals should be doing. But I, I tend to be of the, of the mentality that, um, you shouldn't focus hundred percent of your energy on that, on your personal life. You should be focusing more on tackling those levers in society, those leverage, leverage points where you can really pull and, you know, leverage a 100 X yourself or 1000 X yourself. Um, and so that all being said, I think it's also great that Green Portfolio allows individuals the, the opportunity to kind of passively um, align yourself in a more climate-friendly way um, without having to do all that work yourself. Um, you know, we are, we're all busy. We all, we all have things we have to do. We have people we have to see. And this is a, a Green Portfolio is like a really great way to, to automate a lot of those things and, and make the right decisions um, based off your ethical or moral choices on climate. So without further ado, um, we'll welcome Bonnie and Elizabeth to the show. So, hey, Bonnie. Welcome. Hey, Elizabeth. Hi. Thanks so much Hi. for having us. Totally. So where are you all uh, talking to us from? This is, this is a virtual Zoom after all. We are both in New York City. I am in West Harlem and Elizabeth is in Brooklyn. Cool. 
Um, so let's just start from the very beginning. So where did you both grow up and how did you first get interested in sustainability? So, uh, so this is Bonnie. Uh, I grew up in Ohio, actually. And I, you guys sent this question over earlier and I was thinking about like when I first, I don't know, would have labeled myself sustainable. And I was remembering that in eighth grade, I had to give a small speech. It was like part of our uh, requirement. And I gave it on hybrid cars, which is an amazingly geeky thing for a girl of 13 to give a speech on. Um, but like, that's like where I, I, I come from. From a long time, I have been worrying about uh, this climate change and the problem in front of us. Um, and I think young people feel it like heavier. Um, and, and that has only really increased over time. So um, I've always really been interested in this, had spent a lot of my career in renewable energy. Um, and it's really interesting to tackle this problem from a different perspective. Um, and we're so excited to be here talking to you guys about that today. And uh, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, so pretty close to where I'm living now. And I would say for me, it was a little later on. Uh, I'm really impressed, Bonnie, uh, that you can even <laughs> talk on that when you were 13. That's awesome. Um, but I'd say when I uh, graduated from, from Penn and started working at uh, BASF, so a very large chemical company, um, back then, uh, sustainability became like the hot, like sexy trending buzzword, I would say, of, of industry. And um, I think we'll talk about this a little later, but um, it was pretty eye-opening to see how everyone was trying to be sustainable and how sustainable kind of became like a catch-all for everything and then ended up meaning nothing. And that's when I started to dig into it more on a personal level to figure out like how I could be moving the needle in like my own choices um, on combating climate change. Hmm. Kind of like one of those buzzwords that, that everyone knows, like synergy and what do you actually, what does that actually mean in my day to day? Exactly. <laughs> cool. So, so Elizabeth, you mentioned Penn and, um, so, so, so you studied, uh, was it chemical engineering at UPenn and then went on to get your MBA, um, at NYU Stern and there, uh, so Bonnie, you also studied, you studied mechanical engineering with a bachelor's at Columbia, master's in Caltech, and then also your MBA at NYU Stern, um, and, I imagine that's where you two met. So how and, and why, first of all, did you decide to study engineering? And then how did that transition to kind of a business focus and lens? Um, and like, what did your motivations when you were an engineer, um, what were they, what were your motivations as an engineer and how did that change when you went to business? Sure, sure. So um, actually, Bonnie and I, um, it's, it's funny you mentioned Stern, like we actually met at BASF um, before, uh, Either of us got our degrees at Stern. That's right. Yeah. So we've actually known each other for about about ten years now. Um, but back to your question, um, I really enjoyed chemistry uh, in high school, but I thought about you know problem solving, and I think my whole career is kind of built around problem solving in different ways. Um, I wanted to move into engineering because I wanted to focus on like, meaningful, like, executionable change, and. Uh, I loved problem solving, but I realized that I could apply this skill in a business setting. So once I started working as an engineer, I really liked thinking about the holistic business perspective of things and started working in, in uh, business and product management. Um, I also, though, realized then I could use this skill to help people. And so that's when I was getting my MBA at Stern. I started thinking more about 
you know, I've been working in like a B2B setting, but I really started thinking about people and the end consumer and what they truly need. And so I really enjoy delivering products uh, and solutions that make people happy and make their lives better. And that's how kind of my, my career has always been centered around like fixing things and, and solving problems. And that's how I'm uh, working, you know, on Green Portfolio today is, is helping people figure out a way to, to align like financial and um, climate purpose. And, and just piggybacking off of that, I think, um, you know, when, when we both got our degrees, I don't think either of us knew exactly, and you never know where your career is going to take you. And one of the trends right now that we're seeing in climate that is so exciting to me personally is how many non-science people are entering this field and trying to totally. tackle this problem. Um, whether you're a copy editor, a writer, an artist, like I've, there's so many people coming to the table and saying, I'm going to change my career. I'm going to apply myself to this problem. Um, and that that is so exciting to me that we're getting so many more hands on deck um, from all these different disciplines. So um, I, I think it doesn't matter what your, your college degrees in, you have a lot to contribute to, to solving this problem. Yeah, I, I totally agree with it. And I think the idea that that existed for a long time that you have to be some kind of science person actually probably hindered the climate movement because, I mean, if you just get a bunch of scientists trying to communicate things, you know, it doesn't work quite as well as if you have people who actually are well-versed in public communications. Yeah, 100%. I think you're completely correct on that. And yeah, having having it be a bigger barn that everyone can come and help uh, makes, makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. And something for me that's been really cool is seeing friends who, you know, studied different random things in college. Just, I mean, because I studied environmental engineering, I have a career in clean tech, like random people from throughout my life have been asking like, so like, how do I transition into the sustainability sector? And it's really cool to see that. Um, So diving a bit more into the founding of Green Portfolio itself. So um, I've heard a lot, I think our listeners have probably also heard a lot about ESG, environmental social governance, um, as it relates to company management or investment. Um, Could you kind of explain what that means to our listeners who might not be as familiar with that? Um, And it seems to be the main criteria by which, quote unquote, sustainable or ethical investments are evaluated these days. So kind of what's your take on whether that's a good metric? Um, stepping back to a little bit, like I think like ESG is definitely one component of how people talk about this today. But um, there's also a lot of other lingo that gets thrown around, like socially responsible investing, impact investing, um, et cetera. And I think it's important to understand that there's a little bit of like nuance to each one of these. And so like looking at you know socially responsible investing, it's typically where you're like eliminating or selecting investments based on based on more of like an ethical guideline. So you're eliminating tobacco or weapons from your, your portfolio. Impact investing is pretty much what it says. It's like, you're looking for like a positive impact in some way, whether it's um, like gender equality or you know, in the climate space. And then as you mentioned, you know, ESG. So ESG has been getting a lot of attention. Um, there's the three factors. So environmental, social, and governance. And um, there's a lot of complexity here. Um, and I think there's a lot of ways that this can be misleading to people. Um, one is there's no standard. So there's lots of different ratings companies. A company, a corporation can go shop around for you know, which rating they think is giving them like the best score. Um, the other thing that I think is a little bit complicated is it does show um, and help try to figure out like a company's long-term success and longevity 
you know, based on certain criteria in these three areas. But the numbers that come out of this, the score, it's typically done as a comparison to peers in industry, which I think is what a lot of people do not know. And it's something that um, seems misleading. So for example, you could have oil companies get very high environmental scores, like 80 out of 100, you know, 79 out of 100, um, because they're being compared to other oil companies that are actually worse. Um, wow. But when you step back from that, why is an oil company, like who is really like the main, like a main problem and a main contributor to the climate crisis, like how are they getting such a high environmental portion of that score? Um, and so when we were looking at this um, and, you know, looking to green our own finances and talking to millennials, like talking to other like uh, Gen Z cohort, like once people realize that this is how ESG is working and people have actually potentially paid more fees, like higher fees for management to be an ESG fund and thought they were doing well and right by the environment and find out they might be invested in oil, in oil and gas, people are very frustrated feel misled. Like it's extremely frustrating. I've felt this way when I started looking at this problem and people deserve something better. Um, and so that's why we are you know, looking at green working on green portfolio is to really help people understand like where their money is, what it's up to and helping them find ways to move that to more climate positive options if they want to. So, so one thing I, I, I just realized is we've been talking a lot about green portfolio, but I don't think we've explicitly defined what the company is or what the, what the problem is that, that it's solving. So, so could I ask you all to, to, to do that real quick? Sure. So green portfolio is a platform that makes it easier for anyone to understand um, what their money is doing in the various financial products that you are using. So um, you're able to see, you know, your bank account, your financial uh, investments all in one place. And we provide you with an overall climate score that lets you know how, how are you doing compared to other users, compared to your, you know, previous uh, financial choices so that you can have a clearer climate impact um, than you were having before. So um, right now we've been providing a lot more of like reviews and educational content, um, but we're hoping to roll out a beta version of our platform where you can actually put in your own finances and um, information in 2022, in early 2022. Interesting. Would it be something like similar to Mint, um, the financial um, company out there right now that you would just put in like your bank account, your, your investments and your credit cards and stuff like that, and then you get like some kind of a score back or something like that? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's a very similar to that. We want to make it so you can manage both your financial, all your finances and your climate impact all in one place. Um, and then eventually we're going to be adding in uh, being able to measure, you know, the climate impact of individual transactions, being able to offset your transactions in the platform. So using your finances in a comprehensive manner, um, all in one place and making it as frictionless as we can um, to to use your your money to fight climate change. Cool. Um, so so that's what Green Portfolio is. And now I'm kind of curious about your journey, um, your two's journey on founding Green Portfolio. So we heard a little bit about um, the motivation. Um, whose whose idea um, was it in the, in the first place to kind of uh, to birth this this company? Um, so 
That was, so this is Bonnie. That was, it was something I had personally been working on for a long time. Um, over, I don't know, 10 years ago, I really wanted to directly add renewable ener energy generation to my portfolio. Um, I saw how institution, institutional lenders were getting really good returns. I wanted to do it, found it really hard um, as a consumer to just uh, add that to my personal finances. And then I started digging, um, started keeping spreadsheets. Um, there's a lot of people who actually manage the climate impact of their portfolios and their money in spreadsheets. I was one of them um, and had been working on it for quite some time just myself. And then in 2019, I actually applied for a grant with the NRDC just to start making uh, a resource, like one place you could go to to find out information about different financial products that help fight climate change. Um, and so I started building this resource and it um, really was a fortuitous moment because it was around the same time that there's this kind of birth in climate fintech, where there's all these new products coming on the market that have the same goal, which is fantastic. Um, and so I was, was building just kind of a website and then from speaking with uh, lots of different users, realized a lot of people were trying to manage it in a spreadsheet. And um, I personally believe if we can make a computer do something uh, to save us time and effort and money, um, that that's a really useful service. So uh, that's, I started working with Elizabeth uh, in mid 2020 uh, to try to build this out into like a full-fledged company with a really useful software platform that will make it easier for everyone to do this instead of having to do it manually. Mid 2020, so this was in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, we've been working uh, wow. virtually for the most part on this together. Yeah, <laughs> just like uh, Kelly and me, we started this podcast during the pandemic. Except, except very different. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's in some ways the pandemic has been a real opportunity. Um, right. You know, we can get people on the phone, take meetings that you know probably wouldn't have happened if we'd had to like have an in person sit down in an office somewhere. You know, so in some yeah. ways it's been it's been great. Um, you're able to move faster and and learn faster so uh but this is definitely like a pandemic baby i have to say <laughs> green portfolio <laughs> yeah um to your point it's the same with the podcast i think us having you on this podcast definitely would not have ever happened if we had to do it in person because we're on opposite coast when we first started this podcast steve was in dc the other washington the original washington that's true that's true <laughs> I sense um, a rivalry here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we've only actually recorded one podcast in person together, which was last week. So it's kind of, I, I think it's definitely been a good opportunity to um, connect and collaborate with people all around the world. And especially since climate change is such a global issue, hopefully it leads to more collaboration around that. Cool. I guess um, we'll go to our sponsorship um, right now. And then after that, we'll dive a bit more into how you evaluate um, investment opportunities and the framework behind Green Portfolio. This podcast is brought to you by Bright Power, the premier provider of energy and water management services for real estate owners, investors, and operators. We enhance building performance, simplify building operations, and contribute to a healthier environment inside and out. To learn more, please visit brightpower.com. 
Also, we're hiring. Are you one of those people who wants to transition your career into the climate and energy space? Um, check out all of Bright Power's job openings in Oakland, New York, as well as fully remote at brightpower.com slash weird-hiring or go to brightpower.com and click on the careers tab. And if you want to work with me, there's a energy and building systems data intern position that um, will be on my team, um, technically in California, but actually remote. So um, if you're interested, go check that out. And who wouldn't want to work with Kelly? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You've never worked with me for real. <laughs> worked on a podcast with you. It's been pretty fun so far. So cool. Um, well, let's dive into um, the second half of the podcast. Um, so earlier we talked about how ESG is not necessarily a, you know, an adequate or comprehensive framework to evaluate investment opportunities. So what does Green Portfolio use to evaluate investment opportunities? So I just want to take a quick step back in that we really believe that you can use all of your different financial products as a means of fighting climate change. So, you know, when you take your paycheck and put it in the bank, it's not like the bank is just holding it there waiting for you to you know, come back and collect it. They take your money and do stuff with it. So um, your money could be going and funding fossil fuel exploration or it could be used for loans for electric vehicles. Um, so there's just really a lot you can do with every financial product, whether it's a credit card, um, your insurance premiums, or your 401k or your personal investment uh, choices. So I just want to start, like, I think people need to have a little bit broader viewpoint of um, your money's out there doing stuff. You need you need to know what it is. Um, and if you care about the impact on your money, you have to look at all the different products you're using, um, which is why we're really believe that having a tool like Green Portfolio that pulls in all of your different accounts will be so valuable to people who care about the climate impact of their money. Um, and then once you want to start digging into this, I mean, what you're really looking for is as much as possible direct investment um, in projects, in lending, in actual activities that have a positive climate impact. So the closer you can get to the, um, the, the end user of, of your money, the better. And that's that can be really difficult. Um, some institutions are very open and will tell you exactly what they do with the deposits that they're holding on to. Um, others, it, it can be more challenging to figure out exactly what they're they're doing just because they're very large institutions with, with a lot of different uh, divisions and um and investments themselves. So on the whole that we try to take a very kind of holistic view of what like almost what percentage of their activities are directly going to fighting or having a positive climate impact. Um, and, and that's a, a hard data problem, honestly. So figuring out what every financial institution is up to um, it's hard. You have to pull in from a lot of different people who are trying to track this, a lot of different companies that are trying to figure out this problem. Um, and that's to some degree how we ended up with a more simplistic model like ESG, which is just judging, you know, uh, on a, on a easier to like checkbox metric kind of. Um, and so what we're trying to do at Green Portfolio is, is help you understand exactly how much of your money is actually funding solutions. 
Um, and so that's where I would start. It's just like even just Googling your bank, Googling, you know, your um, like your, the biggest fund in your retirement account and trying to understand like what is it actually invested in? Um, it's a start. Um, and then hopefully when there are more tools available like Green Portfolio, where you can just plug in your account information and we'll just judge it for you, it will be easier to understand um, what your money's actually doing. Um, okay, so and so kind of building on that, I think we, we talked previously um, and you had mentioned there are three pillars of Green Portfolio. Um, what are those three pillars? And, and how does that kind of tie into what you're talking about, like when you're when you're looking at um, investment opportunities, how do these three pillars kind of uh, factor into to decisions? Sure, sure. I would say that you know education, um, empowerment, and community are definitely three areas that we're focusing on. Um, like Bonnie mentioned, like we've talked about um, from like an education standpoint, it's really difficult to understand like what's going on without spending a ton of time reading annual reports, Googling your holdings. Um, and it's not something that you just have to do once. You're gonna have to keep doing it like on at least a quarterly basis to understand like what's going on with, with your finances. And so, you know, when I'm diving into my own, like I personally don't want to feel misled. Um, and I know that, you know, I think most most people would say that as well, right? Um, and so we're battling a few different things. Um, the fact that finance just tends to sometimes generally be an overwhelming topic for a majority of people. And then when you're layering on, you know, trying to make your money work for climate solutions, um, it gets even more complicated. And so what we're doing is trying to be like a a transparent voice, uh, getting, cutting through the greenwashing, cutting through the BS um, cutting through like the marketing gimmicks to make sure that you understand like the pros and cons of what's going on with your portfolio, with your whole financial footprint. Um, the, the reality is nothing is perfect here at this point. Like nothing is black and white in the sense that like, this is going to be a hundred percent, you know, funding probably climate solutions. Um, but we want you to understand the gray area. We want you to be able to understand how you can start moving things and progressing, like on this climate uh, journey with your finances. Um, and so I'd say that's a big part of what we're doing is making sure that, you know, whether you're an expert in this already or someone who's just really interested, making sure that you're not left behind um, in this whole process and can like then become empowered yourself. So the next part of this is empowerment um, at the individual level. We don't want climate finance to be something that is overwhelming and anxiety inducing. We want to be able to arm you with enough information to feel like you can be empowered and motivated to make the right decisions for you. Um, And I think it's important that each person's like financial goal or like a climate objective, like it's not gonna be the same as the next person's. And what we're trying to do is make sure that there's a sliding scale here and we can help everybody along in their own individual process. And then, it comes back to also community. So empowering everyone, motivating everyone, making sure that everyone feels confident in their ability and knowledge of the space. Like we want to build a community that, you know, advocates for change with their dollars. Um, I think we're building this user base and this, this cohort of people that can be very powerful. Um, the way we're thinking about our platform is like making, we're 
making a way to have people interact, whether it's through like anonymized portfolios or like a forum. We haven't quite fleshed out the details of that yet. That'll be like a in a later phase. But we see there's a lot of power here. And we see that if we can alert, you know, our community to either something good or bad that happened with a company or a bank um, around a climate, a climate news, someone, you know, fully divested from fossil fuels or a company is fully engaged in, in you know, clean energy, um, we can see how the community responds to that, like what market movements happen because of that. Um, and I also think there's going to be a place where the community can also advocate for things and like drive change um, around certain topics, around certain corporations. And so, you know, by starting with education, empowering the individual, like we build this community that will really enact uh, climate change. I, I love, I love what you said, um, especially the part about empowerment. Um, I think that's um, like. I think that's a huge part of like when um, people who are like environmentalists or um, live like kind of like in the beginning of the show, I mentioned people who are very much thinking about how can I lo- like lower my personal carbon footprint or my lower lower my personal environmental impact. Um, and I think that's like a lot of that feeling is coming from empowerment. Like it's such a large climate change and environmental disaster, is such a large systematic problem that's like how do you even get started? And you think like at least I, what I can do is fix my life. And I think that like that's the the motivating factor there is you want to feel empowered, and my, my qualms with those with those kinds of people sometimes is that it feels good. It's a, you get kind of a pat on the back, but it's not. You might not be actually making the impact that you that we need to be. Um, but this is so cool because this is like you get that empowerment, and then when you build that community, you really can start to have an impact on a larger scale. And, and it seems like it really does seem like one of those leverage points that you can pull and 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 kind of kind of hit a lot of those boxes, get those feelings of individual empowerment, but also really like impacting. Like change on a larger scale, and, and you know, I it's definitely early days, but I, I'm starting to envision like the future of green portfolio and seeing like beyond just the individuals, like the people, citizens, but you're also like talk to businesses and and you know municipalities and and um, you know organizations that they can similarly make their investment decisions based off of your metrics and really start to set impact on a larger scale. So, so it's very very um, exciting to hear that stuff. Yeah, we think. Even just the fact that they might know someone's watching, right? Like right now, if they can hide behind these like ESG shields and like they make it, you know, they make a, a, a change in their business model, it might only affect them a point or two in their E rating. No one's really watching. Um, but if they know there's a whole community of people that are going to get an alert on their phone that, you know, their company is doing something that uh, our users don't like, we think that could be really powerful. Um, and maybe they'll think twice before doing it. And, and we think that will just trickle up, right? Um, and more and more companies are starting to seriously quantify and calculate and track their climate risk um, because it is important to their bottom line. And we also think climate risk is important to an individual's bottom line. Like, I think everyone needs to know what their climate, you know, what, what, how much exposure do they have to climate change, to climate risk. And like, we're starting to try to figure out ways to make that easier for people to understand. Yeah. I mean, even, even BlackRock and Larry Fink, they, they've been, you know, BlackRock being the largest asset manager in the world with like, I think it was like over a trillion dollars in, in assets managed. They, they themselves have been saying the same thing. Like this is part of the bottom line, environmental sustainability efforts. This is part of the financial bottom line. And if you don't, if you don't shape up, you're going to get left behind. You're, we're going to divest from you. And 
it does it definitely seems to be an intertwining of like of that you know that ESG kind of feel good do good mentality but also good for your wallet and for your and for your bottom line so that's that's really exciting to me as, as like someone who focuses a lot on economics and finances yeah and um, BlackRock actually has about 9.5 trillion uh, in assets under management as of Q2 2021 so that's quite a bit more than a single trillion um, so um, I guess diving into the next question um, so out of kind of the financial institutions that are out there right now which ones would you say are you know some of the like best ones and which ones are some of the worst actors out there so that's like a super big question um, that we're trying to <laughs> continuously answer. But, you know, I would like, if, even if we just, so first off, I'm going to say like, this is not personal financial advice. Um, just want to throw out that disclaimer so we don't get ourselves in the trouble. Um, but if you start even just looking at banks, which I think are a simpler place to start, um, you know, you have a lot of choices in where you put your money. Um, if you are currently using JP Morgan Chase, you are giving your money to the biggest funder of fossil fuel exploration in the world. That's what they're doing with your money. Every time you use one of their credit cards or their bank accounts, um, that's that's where your money's going, uh, amongst many other places. However, um, I, I think it's important people understand that. Um, and that versus, say... Um, you know, one company we love is the Clean Energy Credit Union, which is a small entity growing quickly um, where they are a credit union. And when you put your money in an account with them, they directly loan out your funds to other members to fund uh, solar projects, electric vehicles, only things that are climate focused. Um, and if you want, you can like they directly say who it loans out to. So you like, you actually know like where it goes and they say exactly their, you know, the gigawatts or the megawatts of panels put in, in the last year, et cetera. So um, that kind of transparency is what we're always looking for. Um, direct impact as clearly as possible um, without having to, you know, untangle a very complicated uh financial uh, disclosure every year. So um, so that's what you should look for too, is simple disclosures saying exactly what they're doing. Um, awesome. So this next question is, um, so you two are obviously female founders and, and you know, the thing is you see in the, in the world, both in the clean energy space and in, in the environmental space and also just in the entrepreneurship space, it's tends to be male dominated. Um, and so, you know, really curious to hear your, your perspectives on what has it been like to start a company as a female founder? So, uh, I guess <laughs> I don't think of myself fully as like male dominated space versus not. And maybe it's because, I mean, I, and I think Bonnie too, we've, I've always been in male dominated sectors and industries, like starting with engineering, moving into chemicals, um, and like now moving into energy and, and fintech. Um, so it's something that's apparent in the sense that when you're in a room, uh, in an accelerator or, or whatnot, like there aren't as many, uh, people who, who look like us. Um, but I think it just means that you need to stay much stronger in your conviction and trust in your voice and the reason like the insight you have on what you're building. 
Um, there's always a lot of voices. There's a lot of mentors. There's a lot of advisors that want to help you. And a lot of that is always great. Um, and usually very welcome, but at the end of the day, like you can't please everyone. And I think that that's something that as my, a woman, like I want to make sure that I am building what's best. And I need to know that I typically know, like generally with Bonnie, like what's going to be best for what we're building uh, for our customers. It can be a little daunting, right? Like the the numbers are a little rough. If you look at venture funding or female founders, they receive 2.3% of all venture capital last year. Um, Companies founded only by men, I believe, received over 80%. And then somewhere around 11% went to mixed male-female founders. So 80%, 80 plus percent versus 2.3%, um, can, you know, it can, it can feel a little overwhelming. Um, and, you know, then I think I have always been in male dominated, uh, fields I've had, I was thinking back, I've had three bosses named some variation of Richard. Um, <laughs> and, um, that, that's also kind of a weird thing, uh, to just think how I, we don't have the, um, the like networks and connections that a lot of other men might have just by like, you know, I never went sailing with any of them or even grabbed a beer. Like it just would have been, would have felt strange and kind of, you know, even though that most of them are great bosses, it's just like kind of how the world works. So I, I think one thing we've been realizing is just how important it is to actively work to build a network of people that understand you, support you and want to see you succeed. Um, and so I think, that is a really useful lesson to learn at any point in your life. And especially if you're becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, definitely. So in that vein, are there any groups or cohorts for female founders that you found to be a motivational space for you and other founders who are like you? So we have had the pleasure of being part of two uh, female founder uh, cohorts. They were just almost uh, support groups. Honestly, they, they didn't provide funding, they did provide some mentorship and advice, et cetera, but just having other women to go to who have, are either a step ahead of you or um, have a network they're willing to share or just have been there um, has been really invaluable. And I would strongly encourage anyone who has access to that kind of uh, group to try to join Uh, has been really, really helpful for us to just, just kind of plug into a network and have it support us. Uh, without judgment, it feels really safe, um, and and that has been really wonderful. Yeah, definitely. It is like it reminds me of a of a a saying, I guess, that I've heard. That's like you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, so so choose really carefully. You know who those five people who does number one, two, three, four, five of your life because you're going to be more like them. So I think I think it's it's worth worth reiterating how important it is to really like choose your community. Like deliberately, like I, I definitely spend a lot of time thinking about like, you know, is this person like someone that I want in my life or not? You know, and and <laughs> I feel like as as I get older, as um coming up in my mid twenties, um I'm starting to I'm starting to make those decisions a little bit more deliberately in my life, and 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 uh, yeah, just from from even like from backing up from a career and professional perspective, even just like as a personal perspective, I'm starting to view that more. There are only so many hours in the day. Um, and yeah, you're right. You have to choose the people who, who are, who support you and you can support them. Um, and it, and it, 
and is legitimate and helpful. And, and I, I, I definitely agree that older you get, I think that lesson starts to drive home a bit more. Yeah, definitely agree with that. <laughs> well, cool. Steve, I think you're one of my top five people who I spend yeah. the most time with. <laughs> and I think we've, we've deliberately been doing this podcast for a while now. So <laughs> pretty good. Soon I will become like Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So so, Bonnie and Elizabeth, we have a surprise for you in this interview that we did not tell you about. It's called the Peak Demand Round. Um, these are going to be fast-paced questions that are meant to be answered quickly on the spot. Give us your first gut reaction. Um, don't think about it too much. And so how the, uh, the way it's going to go is I'm going to ask the first one. I'll ask it to Bonnie and then to Elizabeth. And then Kelly will ask the next one, then Elizabeth, then Bonnie. I'll ask the next one, then Bonnie, Elizabeth, Kelly, Elizabeth, Bonnie. So then we'll have a flow there. And um, it's a little, little bit of fun ones, not, nothing uh, too soul-searchy or, or uh, get you in hot water with anyone, I hope. Um, All right, we're excited. All right. Peak demand. Nice <laughs> name, I love it, I love it. Peak demand round. All right, question one. If you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Bonnie. I love hummingbirds, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, I think they're beautiful and super fast. I think it's super cool. I don't know why this popped into my head first, but koala, I guess. I think when I was, <laughs> when I was younger, I just liked how, how cute and cuddly they look, but they can also be like kind of vicious if you get too close. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Perfect for the venture world. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Elizabeth. Ooh. Um, let's go with... I want to talk to the founder of Eldest, Sally, and I'm, her last name is escaping me now, but I want to talk to her because I feel like she was a trailblazer in getting uh, women moving in the investment space. And I just want to learn from her and just like ask her like round robin of questions on how she figured out how to do that. Oh. I still love Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I would love to sit down with her. I think she's super badass. Um, yeah, but I, I'll stick with that, even though it wouldn't be super helpful, perhaps, for our venture. But, but who knows? She's probably connected. <laughs> oh, that's me. All right. Um, if you could talk to a version of yourself that's 10 years younger, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Bonnie. Um, I guess just keep the faith. Like, you can do it you're a capable person. Um, you're smart and able. And, um, if you just like keep applying yourself and working hard, uh, you'll, you know, things will work out. So I, I, I think that's what I would tell myself. I would tell myself, learn to code. <laughs> hmm. Um, I, uh, that's a good I think, one. I, think <laughs> I, uh, I think I hit when, when I was getting my MBA, that was just when, like the digital marketing and digital media boom was starting. Um, and I think if I had learned how to code before that, um, and just was more plugged into like the tech world, I think that would have been, been useful. Definitely. I should learn how to code. <laughs> yeah. There's kind of no excuse though. There's so many like online programs and we're too old, but you know, you just <laughs> excuse Bonnie. <laughs> cool. Um, Cool. So what's something you used to believe and no longer do? Elizabeth? Oh, gosh. Um, I used to believe that 
I think I could um, handle multitasking at like all levels. And I think that got blown out of the water when we became founders. <laughs> so, so it's much more important to be hyper-prioritized and focused than try to multitask on multiple things at once um, because certain levels of attention are needed uh, for critical items. And it's more important to like go down the list than try to do things all at once. That's super good advice and absolutely true. Um, I think one thing I kind of used to believe is that, I don't know, people were not tracking my career or whatever, but, you know, judging my resume, like if I chose to leave a job or switch it to something else or change careers that somehow, I don't know, that there's some greater being out there that would say, oh, you're not qualified, therefore, for X, Y, or Z. And that's just super not true. Like, just judge yourself. Like, if you think your career is moving in the right direction, it probably is. If you're still learning, it's moving in the right direction. Uh, that's to me, that's like the most important metric is like, are you learning? Are you improving? Um, I think it's way more important than what it says on your resume. Um, cause that will come through. It will come through in your work product and in what you're doing. Cool. Um, what is your favorite climate tech? This is open-ended to be climate tech or not even tech. Right now, I am still super jazzed about offshore wind. Um, I know it's like not the sexiest thing, but I have been wanting it to really become a full force part of our energy mix in the United States. And I think there's a chance it might happen. Um, and I'm just really excited about that. And I think it's going to not only birth an entire new industry, essentially, but actually start to move the needle and get us moving in the right direction? I would say um, like direct air carbon capture only because like <laughs> not being as technical. It's something that I'm just really curious about. That's Steve's I mean, favorite too. Episode soon, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> next episode will be about that. So. <laughs> cool. Um, so next question, when have you failed, Elizabeth? I mean, big or small. Like, <laughs> um I, I guess, um, I've failed, you know, getting my, my son out the door on time on Monday for school. That's a small one. Um, but I've, I've haven't closed deals in, in my, my career. Um, I thought I've missed, you know, targets. Um, but at the end of the day, like you bounce back from it and you learn from it. So it's just a matter of turning the failure into something that you can grow from and turn into a positive. Definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's that's hard. Um, I also have had, you know, in my career here and there things where I just felt just felt bad, like things didn't go the right way. Um, I'd say one of them was when so when I worked at BASF, I was hired to join their North American Clean Energy division. And shortly after they hired me, they decided to close it. And it was it, that felt like a big failure to me, even though it was not my fault, but like, it felt like my career got a bit, um, just rear-ended. I didn't know what to do with myself. And like Elizabeth said, you just have to figure out how you can use that to grow and still learn. And then it's even, you know, it, it becomes less of a failure, more of an opportunity. Okay. Last question here, uh, for you, Bonnie, success, success means blank. Uh, success means, uh, Having green portfolio be on the phone of um, 
you know, millions of users and making a meaningful change in, in climate change um, going forward. Elizabeth? Success means it's first, and it's similar to Bonnie's. Success yeah. means uh, means like fulfillment. Like I want our like our customers to feel like they're living their best life, um, being able to be financially secure, growing their their wealth, while also um, helping build climate positive products and services with Green Portfolio. Great. Thank you. Well, that's all we have for the peak demand round. So thank you both so much for participating. It was great talking to you. I definitely am very excited to dive more into Green Portfolio because I am quite the overwhelmed noob when it comes to finance, (laughs) even more so when it comes to climate finance. So um, I'm really excited to kind of dive into that a bit more. But we'd love to have you and your listeners join our waitlist, uh, greenportfolio.com backslash waitlist. Um, so you can be at the top of our list when we launch our uh, public version. Great. I think I already Definitely joined joining. the waitlist, but maybe oh, I'll, you're on I'll join. Okay. I might join again. <laughs> Just signed up. Awesome. So I know, I know, Bonnie, that you got a hard stop right now. So we do want to thank you for coming by, you and Elizabeth, so much for taking time out of your busy days. Um, we've learned a lot. I hope that our audience has also learned a lot and are also intrigued by the product that you're offering. Um, I certainly am. This is a great way to empower yourselves and not, um, and also not just be virtue signaling, in my opinion. It's also making an actual impact. Um, so thank you again so much. For, for coming by, and then Kelly and I will say goodbye, and then we'll do our green new spiels once you leave. <laughs> this was Thanks fun. So Thanks for having us. Well, now it's just the two of us, Kelly, and you know that was a great conversation, um, and it was a conversation that just made me feel you know empowered and community oriented, much like the green new spiel might make me feel empowered, <laughs> educated, and community oriented. <laughs> do you have a green new spiel for us this week? Um, yeah, so I have one. It's not super new, um, but uh, Joe Biden just reinstated or restored three national monuments in Utah and New England a couple weeks ago, which is very exciting, um, especially Bears Ears National Monument. Um, it was shrunk by like 90 something percent into two tiny pieces. And now um, Biden restored it to the original size that it had been under the Obama administration, which is great, particularly because this happened like right before um, Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, I also read this really interesting article. I don't know how new it is, but I read it recently um, about a project out in Twisp, Washington. So it's on the east side of Washington, where they're taking you know the small like fire starter type trees in the forest and turning them into biochar. So one of the big issues with the lack of uh, prescribed burns or controlled burns um, in wildfire areas over the last like whatever few decades is that with these like small trees that you know they're just like much more likely to catch fire at lower temperatures. And that ends up leading to big fires that can burn down all these old growth trees. And especially with climate change, they basically said these old growth trees are not a renewable resource anymore. Like they won't grow back. And so we need to be spending a lot of effort on actual wildfire prevention and being able to kind of, you know, turn those trees. I mean, I think that they should be paid for like carbon sequestration, wildfire prevention, um, rather than, like I think one of the issues they said was that the small trees, um, it's harder to use them for like wood products 
because there's no mill out there that can actually process them. So being able to turn it into a product or even just getting them some funding from like the state's climate fund would be very useful. And what I personally thought was really cool is that um, the main cheerleader for that was a Republican uh, state representative from Wenatchee. So to the extent that we have bipartisan climate solutions out there, we'd love to see it. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, my Green News spiel this week is a political update. Um, we, in a previous episode, we talked about uh, the Clean Energy Performance Program and part of the Budget Reconciliation Bill. Um, as of just this past week, we got the news that Joe Manchin will not support it. He will not vote for the Budget Reconciliation Bill, which is um, the quote-unquote partisan bill. Um very disappointing news to me. Um, I texted Kelly with a sad face and she was like, well, <laughs> I don't know. It's so frustrating to hear this. Like Joe Manchin, you know, he's bought by Exxon Mobil. He, he, he's uh, part owner of a giant coal company in West Virginia. And he's clearly has vested interests in this. And so the CEPP, his issues were with, with the CEPP, which would require, you know, utilities to increase their clean energy share by 4% year over year. And we talked about that in the previous episode. And he his qualms, among others, were that um, the coal, that coal and natural gas with carbon capture and storage equipped would not be able to participate because they're not economical. Well, guess what? They're not economical. So let them not participate. But, you know, obviously um, Joe um, Manchin is a coal person and he, he really wanted coal to be in there. So he's not going to ex- accept the CEPP. Um, I'm really hoping that he'll he will a counter offer with at least something, something at least watered down something like a carbon tax or a carbon price that will be probably very low, like $20 per ton or something like that. But we need to get something on the books. We need something, like something that we can build on for the next next couple of years. So I'm really hoping that this this, this continues. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm also hoping maybe this is like just more political posturing. Their deadline is still in the, in the, is like the first week of December, I think. So still like a, a month and a half for them to, to negotiate and create some deals. Um, so, I mean, Joe Manchin might just be like, bluffing and and maybe it's like some game theory in action mm-hmm. i'm really hoping it's, it's so hard to like you know how do you really know what the politicians are thinking but i'm really hoping joe manchin like comes through for us like come on joe like i, I can simp for you i will simp i will happily simp <laughs> joe manchin doesn't need your simping <laughs> now i th- uh remember in our previous conversation we asked which joe you vibe with more yeah joe joe brogan Joe the man mansion (laughs) right well anyways um, that is our green news spiel for this week thank you again for listening to us this week and and thank you as always for being our supporters and our listeners Um, please reach out to us with any other topics you want to hear is there is there do you want to learn more about cows and farts cow farts Um, do you want to learn more Cow belches. I mean, I like to call them cow farts. It's funny. Um, or, you know, you want to hear more about kelp, sea kelp. Uh, what, what do you, what do you listeners uh, care about? Let us know. Um, follow us on um, Facebook and Twitter at Gen Renew Pod. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Kelly M. Jang or climate underscore Steve. Um, and yeah, thanks again for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to. Um, subscribe so that you get every episode when it's uploaded as well as um, feel please feel free to leave a rating and review on apple um if you liked it if you didn't like it send us the hate mail don't leave us a bad rating (laughs) (laughs) um 
but yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll see you. We won't see you. You won't see us either, but you'll hear our voices in your earbuds next See you next time. <laughs>